RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, we are here in Lawfather headquarters in the Lawfather studio. Uh, still, as you see on the video, still a work in progress. So hopefully by the next time, you'll get to see what the new studio is looking like. So right now, uh, kind of a few interesting things going on in the Supreme Court. So just want to take an opportunity, look at those couple of things, touch on them real briefly, and then we'll get into our listener question here uh, like we typically do. So uh, one of the interesting things is, and it's something that we keep hearing more and more about, and a lot of these seem to be coming out of the Northeast, is uh, a group of healthcare providers in Maine have sued the state of Maine due to the vaccine requirements. And the United States Supreme Court has recently come by and said, no, they can force you to, uh, they can mandate you to take the vaccine as healthcare providers. And what made the main one different from some of the other ones that have been out there was they tried to look at it from a religious exemption point of view. Um, here's really though the biggest problem that I see with the main healthcare workers is that Maine has a vaccine requirement that dates back into, I believe, 1989. Okay, so healthcare providers in Maine have always, uh, you know, for lack of a, a better time frame, have always been required, pre-pandemic, been required to have vaccines. And so now they're saying, well, no, now it's an issue, right? And the Supreme Court's going, yeah, no. All right, so that's that one. That's really neat and simple and quick and easy, okay? But I encourage you to look deeper into things when you hear these headlines, right? Because I saw the initial headline first of, oh, Maine healthcare providers uh, sue to uh, for religious exemption for the vaccine, right? And then you find out as you dig deeper that, well, there's been a vaccine mandate when presumably these people were hired right? Unless they've been working 30 years, right? When they were hired, they were hired and had to have a vaccine mandate. So kind of keep that in mind, right? Keep in mind when you're looking at things and you see things, look a little bit deeper, right? So anyway, not, not saying a vaccine mandate is right or wrong. Uh, I truly have not given the issue a whole lot of thought um, because it doesn't necessarily apply to what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, but just something to think about, something to consider, all right, let's take a look at something a little bit heavier, okay? And look, it's something that is very polarizing. Come right out with that, that this is a very polarizing topic. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it is a very, very interesting and very, very cool topic from a legal perspective. Um, really kind of excited as I started looking at some of this stuff as to, wow, okay, that's one way to twist things and and use essentially loopholes and gray areas to get what you want out of the legal world, right? And, and I always find those things really interesting to, to dive into, all right? So let's go and, and look at what I'm talking about right now, right? Which is Senate Bill 8 out of Texas, right? Which is essentially become known as the total abortion ban in Texas, right? Well, everybody has heard, or I shouldn't say everybody, but the famous case, if you will, Roe versus Wade, okay? Bet you didn't know it came out of Texas, 
right? So Texas and abortion law seem to have a really long history. Okay. And, and the Roe versus Wade is from the seventies and there actually was not a person named Roe. Uh, it was the, the, in the court documents, the individual, her name was Norma McCorvey in the court documents. They named her Jane Roe. Okay. I would assume as a play on Jane Doe, um, that they didn't want necessarily to publicize who this person was in, uh, open court documents. Okay. Basic bottom line is Henry Wade, who was the district attorney of Dallas County, was enforcing a Texas law that prohibited prohibited abortions except to save a woman's life. And he enforced it even after uh, there were some court decisions that um, made that law improper in Texas. Roe versus Wade comes along, U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court says abortions are allowed, abortions are legal. Because, because why? There has to be a reason, right? They just can't go, hey, because we said so, right? Nope. They went to the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution and said that a woman's right to to an abortion falls under Section 1 of the 14th Amendment, okay? And the 14th Amendment says that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Okay? That is why, that what I just read to you, is why in Roe versus Wade in the 1970s, the Supreme Court said abortions are allowed. Abortions are okay. All right. That, that's what that says. That's what that means. Now, as an interesting aside from a legal standpoint, the 14th Amendment only deals with uh, citizens, okay, or uh, whether born or naturalized. So you could, well, not you could make the argument by reading it, uh, illegal immigrants don't fall under this. So theoretically you could create laws that are different for immigrants for, excuse me, for, uh, illegal immigrants than you could for, um, citizens and naturalized, um, persons in the United States. I, I can't imagine that ever happening, but just by a strict reading of the 14th amendment, seemingly you could do that. I don't think we would ever see that in our lifetime. Um, nor do I think the Supreme court would ever allow that, but Seemingly uh, very interesting there from that perspective. Now, let's fast forward to 2021, and we have Texas once again, right? 1970s, Texas, 2021, Texas. Here's where this is really cool and interesting, right? Normally, when we're talking about bans, and we're talking about laws, and we're talking about all these different things, we're talking about government enforcing something, Okay. Roe versus Wade, Texas district attorney, okay? The law had to do with a branch of the the government taking action, right? Prohibiting something, fining something, right? Taking some sort of action, right? All relates to the government, right? And And you think of our different branches, right? The different branches of the government, and you have the executive, which is the enforcement arm, Right. So 
in all these laws, and, and think about all the laws that we have, right? You can't go break into someone's home. You can't go break into someone's car. Is that enforced by your neighbor down the street? Nope, right? It's enforced by the government. It's enforced by law enforcement. It's enforced by the state attorneys. It's enforced by the court system, right? Not Johnny from down the street is not going, hey, I'm going to sue you for breaking into Sally's car, okay? Think about that for a moment. Every law that we have, right, has to do with that. Now, where do we see that other concept? Well, think about it like this. Let's let's turn these let's turn this away from abortion for a second and let's turn it into other real life scenarios. You have a car crash case. One individual sues another individual, right? But both of those people were involved in that car crash in one way, shape, or form. They had something to do with it. Sally, who was minding her own business, sitting in her house, nothing to do with it, right? Not a party to it, can't do anything, can't sue the person who caused the crash, okay? This is where this Texas Senate Bill 8 gets really interesting, and this is why it has been such a problem to figure out how to fight it, okay? Senate Bill 8 is not enforceable by any government agency, okay? Say it again. This is where it's weird. Senate Bill 8 is not enforceable by any government agency. It is only enforceable, or it's not even enforceable per se, okay? It allows any citizen to file a lawsuit against any any abortion provider for performing an abortion anytime after there is what's called cardiac activity, okay? Which is about six weeks from what all the science and data says, okay? And it allows them to sue someone who aids and abets in the process. So, let's look at our other example that I was just talking about, right? Sally's not involved in the car crash. She's minding her own business, sitting on her front stoop. Jack and Johnny get in a car crash. Sally sues Jack and Johnny for getting in a car crash. It doesn't involve her at all, okay? Would never fly, right? Why would it? She has nothing to do with it. In Texas, if Johnny and, and Johnny and his buddy, Johnny and, and whoever it was, right, run an abortion clinic, Sally's minding her own business, sitting on her front stoop. They're running this abortion clinic, right? Licensed and everything else, right? Purely legal. She can sue Johnny for running the abortion clinic. Sally had nothing to do with it. Sally was not a party to it. Sally didn't have an abortion. Sally didn't drive a person to an abortion. Sally wasn't anything other than a citizen of the state of Texas. And yet, she can bring a lawsuit. Right? So, think about that. Now, really important part to consider, the one person who cannot be sued based on this law is the person having the abortion. Okay? So, woman goes in, has an abortion, she cannot be sued. The provider that is doing it can be sued. Okay. Uh, there's uh, substantial penalties that can come along with that. And what it does, and, and the, there is a legal concept that comes along with this. Okay. So, in order to sue somebody, you have to have what's called standing. In our car crash example, Sally doesn't have standing. 
this law, this Texas law, gives Sally standing to start a lawsuit in the state of Texas. That's it. That's how it works. Okay. So is it truly a ban? Right? Because if you read every single news article, and I don't really care whether it's a liberal article or a conservative article, everything that I've seen on Texas law calls it a near total ban on abortions. Right? But here's the thing. Is it? And I'm just posing questions here. Right? I'm not saying that I'm on one side or the other on this. Right? It's a really deep and complicated topic and, and one that you know, I'm not willing to jump on one side or the other for, okay? But that said, it's, it creates this, this really interesting thing because it's not, it's not that it's banning abortions. So think about that. It's not banning, it's not banning abortions. It's simply giving a certain class of people, i.e. citizens of Texas, the ability to sue, right? That's it. That's what that law does. So, and and they can only be sued if it is after there's cardiac activity. So that's, that's where it lies. And, and so if you perform an abortion and no one sues you, it's not illegal, right? Think about that. You don't have the police knocking at your door, right? You're not going to have the state attorney investigating you for it. You got to worry about Sally down the street, who doesn't like that you perform abortions? That's it. If everybody loves you, you're the best abortion doctor in Texas that everybody loves, this all wouldn't impact you. Kind of interesting to think about for, for a second here in the, the concept of that. So one of the people who, who seemed to be that, that they could really be in the crosshairs of something like this, and, and it's not somebody who you, who you would ordinarily think about, right? But Uber and Lyft drivers, right? Not somebody we would go, hey, they're the ones that are going to get sued in this law. Well, the there's a provision in the law that deals with aiding and abetting, right? Uh, uh, basically, someone who helps somebody else do something that the law says is not okay, right? So remember, the only person that cannot be sued is the woman having the abortion. Pretty much everybody else involved in that process can be, right? So Uber driver picks her up, takes her to the clinic, and lo and behold, may or may not be considered part of the lawsuit, right? So, I mean, things to consider, right? Did that Uber driver know? Could you make that leap of saying, hey, the Uber driver knew the address that they were going to, and there was a big sign, big neon letters that said abortion clinic, right? I don't think any abortion clinic has big neon letters, right? So demonstrative for a point, right? That, hey, here it is, drives up, drops the person off. (laughs) Does he really know what they're going to do? Maybe their friend works there, right? Who knows? So something that's really difficult, I think, that you could ever have a case that you could actually pursue against an Uber or a Lyft driver or a taxi driver for that matter. But it is something that is open and available based on the way the law is written. So that is is really very interesting. Now, why has this been so hard to wrap around and, and know who to go against? It's the enforcement piece. Because the enforcement is through 
the citizens of the state of Texas, right? The, the, the enforcement piece is through giving standing, giving the ability to file a lawsuit to regular citizens, not the government, right? Typically in these, just like Roe versus Wade, what was attacked was the enforcement, not the law itself, right? But the law itself crumbles once the enforcement part of it crumbles, okay? It, it just, it kind of, it falls in line, right? So you attack the enforcement part of the law and the enforcer of the law becomes your defendant, right? Just like Roe versus Wade. That's what happened in Roe versus Wade. And today, very timely, right? The Supreme Court has been hearing arguments all day, okay, on this topic. Now, here's the thing, right? And, and I want you all to think back to when um, Trump named Amy Barron, Co- uh, Amy, Amy Cohen, um, not Sasha Baron Cohen. No, was, that's a completely different person. Okay, um, one's an actor and one is a Supreme Court justice, um, Amy Cohen and Brett Kavanaugh. When Trump named both of those to the Supreme Court, both of them very conservative, right? And there was this thought that, oh my God, right? What's going to happen? Is is Roe versus Wade going to be overturned? Are all these things going to fall apart, right? And and then you had this Texas abortion law. And then you had the conservative Supreme Court go, we're not going to make a ruling on that right now. We're going to let that law stand, right, in some of the initial uh, initial filings on it, right? Well, the problem was, was it was difficult to find a defendant. But guess what, right? And this is what is amazing. And this is what the Supreme Court is all about. And my point to driving home the fact that hey, Trump appointed these conservatives and everybody thought the wheels were going to fall off, right? The law is blind. Justice is blind, right? Our Supreme Court should be nonpartisan, right? At the end of the day, the Supreme Court should not follow any party lines whatsoever. It should just be the Constitution says this, the law says this, and this law is allowed because the Constitution allows it, right? The Constitution being a living, breathing document that's ever changing, right? It was written in the 1700s. Things have changed since then, right? It's, our, it's the duty of the Supreme Court justices to interpret that and interpret that in 2021, right? And, and that's a whole different topic for a whole other thing, the, the different ways to interpret this living, breathing document, okay? But what it is looking like right now is that there is is some major pushback by the conservative government, uh, excuse me, the, the conservative justices against this Texas law, okay? Very early on in the process, right? This thing will take days, days of arguments, but as of the first day, there's there's been some concerns expressed, okay? So, Think about that as you're as you're thinking about things, and understand that, yeah. Guess what? The Supreme Court, you know, they basically have a duty to be nonpartisan, and I think that they are accomplishing that right now. So this is an ongoing thing, but really interesting and neat to look at from a legal perspective. I I know it's a heavy topic, and not something that anybody is going to go, "Wow, abortion's a neat and interesting topic to talk about." No, it's not. Okay, it's very serious, but the way Texas drafted this law from a legal perspective, it's really cool. It's really neat and interesting and really cool to take a look at. So that is Texas Senate Bill 8, 
All right. And we're going to switch gears here real quick. And let's get into a listener, listener question today. And the question is this. Do the medical bills come out of my settlement? All right. So the short answer to that is yes. The medical bills are a part of the settlement. Okay. And so they do come out of the total settlement, right? Or resolution. Now, here's the thing. Your resolution or your settlement is made up of several different things. It's made up of your past medical bills, your future medical bills, your pain and suffering, your lost wages, okay? And your future loss of earning capacity. That's what it's made up of, right? And your medical bills really become the bedrock, right? The foundation of what your case is built on. So do do the medical bills come out of your settlement? Yes, Absolutely, they do. The doctors need to get paid, and there's no other avenue to pay them, right? Because if we look at it, it's like this. You have the medical bills, right? You're responsible for paying them. But you weren't responsible for the action that happened that caused you to need that medical treatment, right? So we then go, hey, person who caused the crash, you're responsible for those medical bills. So since you're responsible for those medical bills, you need to pay those medical bills, right? And that's how it comes in form of the settlement, right? Because then we also go, hey, person who caused the crash, not only are you responsible for paying those medical bills, you're also responsible for pain and suffering for my client. You're also responsible for the week my client missed of work. You're also responsible for the future loss of earning capacity, meaning that my client is so hurt that they used to work a job that they were a heavy laborer and skilled laborer and making $25 an hour, but now they can't do that. Now they have to do really light type labor, unskilled at $15 an hour. So that $10 an hour times 40 hours a week times the rest of their working life is their lost wages, right? So medical bills, yes, they do come out, but they are one piece to a much bigger puzzle. All right. So that is the show for today. Law Father right here from our new and improved Law Father headquarters studio, although it is still quite uh, bland behind me. And you can see if you look really closely on YouTube that there's two colors of paint on the wall still. But anyway, we will have that fixed hopefully by the next time you guys are listening to me talk about the legal world. Always check us out on social media, trying to keep some really cool and interesting stuff up on there. So check us out on there. Check out this podcast on YouTube. Check it out on Apple Podcasts. And check out my boy Jason over here on his podcast and all the other podcasts on Radio Influence. It's Law Father here. Law Father out.